1: Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. It's a podcast that's part of the New Books Network. On this episode, I'm talking to Chiara Bonacci about heritage and nationalism, understanding populism through big data. So welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Good morning, and and thank you very much for inviting me.
1: Uh, My my pleasure. This um, is a fascinating book for lots of different reasons. It's methodologically really interesting. Um, The points it makes about as the title says, the relationship between heritage uh, and nationalism, I, I think, are incredibly sort of well timed and, and you know speak to the current moment. But at the same time, um, it's actually just kind of really interesting in terms of some of the uh, reflections it's got on things like the Roman Empire, um, you know, th- mythologies around walls and um, you know I- ideas about Italianness or Romanness and and things like this. So that there's a collection of really sort of fascinating things that the book does, as well as being, I think, quite an important um, academic text as well. And I guess the place to start with is the research project that the book um, kind of draws from and, and, and sort of develops, uh, which is this project that was called Ancient Identities in, in Modern Britain. And I wonder if you could say a bit about um, kind of how that project led you to to write this book.
0: Yes, of course. Um In 2016, uh, I was awarded these um, grants um, from the UK Arts and Humanities Research Council um, to um, work on a project uh, called uh, Ancient Identities in Modern Britain. And this was together with colleagues um, at uh, Durham University. Um, We were very excited uh, about this project and we wanted Um, to really um, examine um, how different people um, in uh, England, Scotland and Wales um, experience and value uh, the Iron Age and and Roman past potentially in different ways, through interactions with people, objects and places from these periods online and, and offline. And of course, um, when um, we started um, the project, uh, Brexit came. And um, and that was a big deal, uh, as, as we all know. Um, and I remember... Um, starting to work on the project and coming across um, satirical uh, pages on Facebook um, that um, we're really talking about Brexit uh, through, through references um, to the ancient past. And, um, you know, images of Celts um, and texts saying um, it's time that um, Britain leaves this um, Roman Empire referring to, to um, the European Union. So um, at that point, uh, the idea came to um, develop a strand of this research that was looking uh, specifically at how um, people um, leverage the Iron Age Roman and early medieval past um, to discuss um, political issues uh, in the present and particularly um, how they use it when they want to support or oppose populist nationalist
1: discourse i mean we should probably talk a little bit about those those two terms really populism and and populist nationalism because because you know they they really matter in 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 terms of the core story the book tells and and as you mentioned you know the kind of events that you lived through and, and gave rise really to uh the things the book is is interested in so so what what are we talking about here what what are these these terms mean, or, or what are the kind of practices associated with these terms?
0: Um, yes, populism and, and nationalism are two huge uh, concepts. that are rivers of literature that um, have been written um, to to discuss uh, what what they are. But um, the book um, re- refers specifically to populist nationalism by. Um, Um, drawing on the work of um, the sociologist Brubacher uh, and also um, by drawing on Christian Fuchs' work, um, particularly a really interesting book that he wrote um, and published in 2018 called Nationalism 2.0. So, um, Populist nationalism in the book uh, is understood as um, that kind of sentiment and discourse that works to exclude specific groups of people, Um, you could say both horizontally and, and vertically vertically because it creates divisions between us the people and them uh, the elite uh, but also horizontally for example because it excludes out groups on the basis of things like uh, religion or culture ethnicity etc um and um Fox, in particular says that uh, nationalism um, in the age of networked web infrastructures, in the age of neoliberalism and globalization is fundamentally populist. Um, It has cultural, economic and political dimensions and um, it divides between and creates divisions between in-groups and out-groups in order to defend um, uh, what he calls um, the idea of um, our country our economy and our way of life
1: you, you sort of hinted at this already that sense of like you know defending our country our economy our, our way of life at first would seem to be sort of kind of removed from classical civilization and you know, kind of discussions of the historiography of of Rome and, and stuff like this, but actually they're really kind of deeply intertwined in both, as you say, the kind of in group and out group dynamics and the kind of the building of a what our you know society is. And, and I wonder if you could kind of sketch out. You know, you'd mentioned a, a couple of times that. Um, references to things like Rome and the the Roman Empire and in Brexit. But what is the sort of relationship between populist nationalism and and then heritage and and archaeology?
0: Yes. So, um, as I was saying, um, a lot of um, this populist nationalist discourse um, is characterised by um, demarcations between in-groups and out-groups, an inside and an outside and um, an outside that is seen antagonistically. Um, And um, the way in which we often um, experience and frame um, the past uh, in contemporary society um, is also through oppositions. We often oppose one period to the period that came first or to the period that came um, uh, afterwards. And these oppositions um, are used to inform um, inside, outside demarcations that we find in uh, populist nationalist discourse. So we have um, ideas of us and others that are strongly influenced um, by what we identify as our origins. Um, They can be constructed through um, processes of identification, for example, with either the Romans or the barbarians. native Iron Age tribes or, or Germanic people um, and uh, whenever one of these collectives is invoked um, and mentioned um, this is done in order to um, refer to specific sets of values that that specific collective uh, symbolises and these values uh, can vary uh, very much um, from one person to another and often they can vary also within the same uh, individual um, conscience. Uh, So in um, in essence um, the past is very relevant to this discourse because um, oppositions between different periods um, and the values that they symbolize are used to fuel inside outside demarcations that we find in populist nationalist discourse.
1: We're going to hear a bit more about those when we do the kind of core case studies of the book from Italy, uh, Britain and and the US as well. But, But before that, the kind of the other big thing going on with the book is methods um, and this idea of not just kind of digital heritage, but digital methods to um, engage with, you know, these, as you've sketched out, you know, really important contemporary debates about heritage, archaeology um, and, and the past. And I, and I wonder, I guess kind of like not just what were the methods, you know, what kind of big data approaches did, did you use, but but also kind of why were you interested or, you know, why was kind of, you know, digital approaches that that the right sort of or set of methods for you to get into these um, tricky questions about um, populist nationalism in the past?
0: Um, Big data um, approaches in uh, heritage and particularly um, to look at um, heritage experiences and and heritage values. have not been used uh, very much um, up to now. And this is partly because very often uh, heritage researchers tend to have um, a background in the humanities and um, tend to lean towards more qualitative um, approaches. Um, But, For this specific study, um, it was really important to integrate um, more qualitative kinds of analysis, content analysis, with data intensive um, kinds uh, of analysis that drew on um, large volumes of big data. Um, So it's in total um, uh, about 60 million um, data points were analyzed. Um, And why? well, because uh, by looking at uh, social media data um, at scale in these quantities, it was possible to find um, those rare occurrences when people um, talk about the present, um, talk about their political ideas, um, by referencing the past. and. Um, Those rare occurrences, when they do these spontaneously without being questioned and um, and specifically asked, uh, as you would in a survey, um, for example. Um, And this was really important in order to inform the kind of study, the kind of research um, that um, I wanted to to undertake. Um, There is also another reason um, social media... um, uh, are um, very much the spaces where um, populist nationalist discourse uh, is expressed. Um, of course, not not the only spaces where you can find it, but spaces where you can indeed um, find it. And... Um, this is because uh, there are spaces where um, politicians, political parties, um, can voice this kind of discourse, um, and people can respond. Uh, they can voice their um, their concerns, um, um, what um, they feel um, is uh, oppressing them, the kind of political futures they um, hope. Um, To see happening and politicians again can respond uh, to grievances, they can uh, respond to um, whatever large uh, numbers of people are expressing on on their pages. Um, So uh, as Gerbaudo, a sociologist, uh, says, there is almost an elective affinity, you could say, between um, social media uh, and populism for this reason.
1: So how does it work? this um, as you'd say, you know relationship, this sort of elective affinity and, and these these platforms, you, you've got these three uh, kind of case studies which, which um, are sort of similar but different and, and have different kind of dynamics um, but before the book sort of later turns I guess to a, to a broader reflection about the meaning of, of, of these case studies. So if we start with with Italy and the 2018 Italian election, I mean, this sounds kind of flippant, but it's like you'd sort of expect things like the Roman Empire to sort of be, you know, possibly used by uh, right-wing um, or, you know, Italian populist um, parties, you know, because at least there is, I suppose, that national history there. But as you kind of get into it in the book, there are very specific things that that come through. You know, it's not a discussion of the history of Italy it's a discussion of things like, you know, Roman imperialism, these kind of like mythical, uh, heroic figures. And as you've mentioned earlier, lots of in-group and out-group, lots of kind of border drawing. So what what was going on with um, the Italian use of heritage for populist reasons?
0: Um The Italian case study was uh, very interesting because uh, um, what um, came out uh, of the 2018 um, election was effectively uh, a coalition government um, that um, so governing together uh, the League, the Northern League, um, and um, the Five Star Movement, um, which were at the time, um, could be, could be defined um, as two populists and eurosceptic uh, parties. Uh, One more technopopulist and post-ideological, the Five Star Movement, and the other uh, more strongly uh, conservative, more uh, right-wing, the League. Um, So what um, was possible to see? um, Well, first of all, I analysed both um, the ways in which um, Iron Age and Roman the Iron Age, Roman and early medieval past were leveraged by um, these parties and uh, their leading politicians. Uh, and then I looked at how uh, they were leveraged by their base, uh, so by those uh, who were posting on their public Facebook pages. Um, and what I could see is that the um, um, in the majority of cases, they were supporting um, the, the the narratives um, put forward by um, the the two um, parties um, and and leading politicians I mentioned. And uh, what what, what it was possible to see um, is that um, uh, the official. Facebook pages of the League and the Five Star Movement um, and the Facebook discourse of their leaders, so uh, Matteo Salvini and Beppe Grillo, uh, made a very thin use uh, of heritage. So uh, they don't really refer to specific uh, aspects um, of um, the Iron Age or the Roman uh, periods. Um, Something that should be said is that in 2013 the League ceased to be a party that was advocating for the separation of the north uh, of Italy from um, the south. Um, And um, it was at that point in time that it started to be a nationalist uh, party that wanted to appeal to a national electorate. Um, So in terms of references to the past, um, in uh, 2013, the League moved from a celebration of Celtic origins um, uh, free Celtic origins to more civilizationalist uh, narratives that linked Christian traditions with broad ideas of um, Italy's cultural and artistic greatness. Um, and differently um, um, The Five Star Movement defined itself as the national heritage. Um, They uh, presented the movement um, and their online platforms as mechanisms to shape um, um, the national heritage of of Italy um, and any future legacies. So history was made uh, in the now um, by this technopopulist party and um, it was written on some sort of historical um, clinical, uh, sorry, a historical tabula rasa, so a clean slate. Very different is what happens and what we see um, uh, with the uh, people who commented on the official pages connected to the five-step movement um, and the League, Um, because Um, These people who, as I said, largely supported um, the leaders um, um, Salvini and and Grillo and their parties um, expressed um, um, populist nationalist discourse in ways that made much more specific um, references to uh, pre-modern periods. Um, And um, the Roman world um, was generally given uh, a great um, prominence, great importance compared to other periods, Um, featured mainly through references to the Roman Empire. Um, And the Roman Empire was central to the uh, crafting, the moulding of four key oppositions. Um, We see one um, between civilization and barbarism, um, one between um, military force and weakness, greatness and decadence, multiculturality and cultural uh, homogeneity. And then these binaries, these oppositions, were used to shape, uh, create, myths of origin, of decline and collapse, and of resistance, in a range um, of combinations. Uh, The League's base primarily leveraged the Roman Empire to stress a vertical division between indigenous and civilised us, and immigrant and barbaric others. Whereas, uh, for example, comments uh, from sympathisers of the Five Star Movement tended to revolve more um, around a separation between the people and the elite. So, for example, uh, the Roman Empire was called um, to refer to the um, corruption of the current political elite um, that um, would lead to the collapse of Italy in the same way as um, the corruption, in the words, of um, the Roman elites led again in the mines to the fall of the Roman Empire.
1: I mean, there's a lot of different strands to, to that analysis and, and the kind of theme, some of which, you know, complements each other, some of which uh, is, is kind of contrasting. And later on in the book, you, you've you've got slightly different kind of examples for the British and the the American case studies. But you've also got this continuation of these, you know, some, some uh, contrasts and some contrasts uh, kind of complementarities and and I wonder what are the kind of comparisons between how heritage was used in the Brexit referendum how Trump uh talked about walls (laughs) like the Trump chapter is really remarkable um it's yeah there's there's a lot of stuff going on with the Trump chapter but but yeah how how are they kind of similar and, and how are they different in in terms of uh the discourses and the reactions on social media as compared to the Italian case study
0: yeah, so the three case studies um, all have an underlying theme, which is that of uh, border control and mobility. And this theme characterizes them all. Um, the In the Brexit uh, chapter, I looked at, um, at the Facebook discourse of uh, leading politicians and parties um, right before and after um, the um the the Brexit uh, referendum, and then I looked at um, about 360 um, public Facebook pages that talked about Brexit, and that featured Brexit in the title, the description, and how the past was used um, in in those pages. Um, And um, there are lots of things that could be said in terms of differences and similarities, but... um, for example, um, what we what we can see um, in uh, in the British in the Brexit um, case study um, is that there is um, almost. Um, a, um, an opposite um, way of using the civilization barbarism uh, binary uh, that is centered on, on the Roman Empire. So in the Italian case study, you see an identification with um, the Roman Empire and um, them, the other, the antagonistically crafted other, is um, either... Um, uh, other countries um, uh, that are part of the European Union, because let's let's remember um, the um, uh, material I looked at um, tended to be Eurosceptic. So people um, that um, were using this kind of um, sort of myth of origin um, were expressing. Eurosceptic uh, positions. But in the Brexit chapter, we see that um, Eurosceptic positions um, are um, embraced by um, essentially identifying with um, either the free um, Iron Age people that came before um, the the Roman Empire or or, um, the post-Roman people uh, who came after. And the Roman Empire is instead seen um, as um, a metaphor um, to um, express um, the domination, the oppression um, that um, Eurosceptics within the Brexit discourse associate um, with the European Union. So you see the binary, you see um, um, this Civilization Barbarism binary centered in the Roman Empire played out in opposite ways in these two case studies. Um, There are also other um, similarities and differences um, uh, related, for example, to the ways in which this past is leveraged, Um, whether or not, um, for example, um, expert voices um, are mentioned. Um, We see them more in the um, Italian case study, much more referenced uh, there than we see in the Brexit case study. And Trump. um, Well, the Trump case study is um, um, quite—it's—it's quite interesting because, as we, as we know, uh, the um, Roman, the Roman past, the Iron Age past, um, have played historically um, an an important, a significant role in the shaping of um, uh, nationalist uh, narratives um, in in North America, um, as well as. in Europe. And um, and there, um, what could be seen is that um, as soon as um, Trump um, declared his intent to uh, build uh, a great wall, the Trump's wall, um, a number of different media outlets started to um, Talk um, about uh, the effectiveness of war, the ancestry of war, the psychological nature of walls, uh, and how they are effectively walls of worry. They are, they have symbolic power, and they, um, at the same time, express people's worries and are a way in which um, um, politicians um, can project. Um, an idea of security. And this was done through a number of references and comparisons between Trump's wall and historical walls from the past. Um, Hadrian's wall was one, but also uh, the Great Wall of China, which was also mentioned, by the way, by Trump himself, um, when he was trying to make a case um, about the fact that um, this wall um, that he wanted to build was entirely feasible. Because if uh, the Great Wall of China could be built, then Trump's wall certainly could have been built. Uh, but also other walls, the Berlin Wall, the Maginot Line, so on and so forth. And um, something interesting that we see is that these in most cases, um, these media outlets uh, tend to actually take a quite... Um, a non monolithic approach, let's say, to, the, uh, to what the function um, of walls is in the past and the present. And they, they at least refer to more nuanced ways of understanding them. Um, they don't present them um, uh, uniquely as defensive ways, um, um, sorry, defensive structures and uh, ways to protect an insight that worked effectively. But when you move to Twitter discourse and you see how people um, in part received uh, some of these um, media discourse and in part simply um, developed it, um, developed discourse of their own, you see a much more binary um, way of talking about walls in the past and the present, and whether they were um, um, pro-walls or anti-walls, pro-Trump's wall, anti-Trump's wall, they tended to talk about um, the effectiveness um, of walls um, and to embrace much more, much less nuanced uh, narratives around what the function of walls actually is.
1: You mentioned kind of just in passing the the, the differences in how experts were invoked, um, and, I, and I'm fascinated by this because obviously, in some ways, um, nationalist populism is you know explicitly anti-experts. Um, there's you know a, a sort of strand that says you know experts are part of the elite, and you know as you mentioned in in, in some detail with the Italian case study, reactions against you know corrupt elites and the end of, of you know, particular phases of civilization is a kind of key theme or a key idea. But yeah, what is the role of experts? Both, I suppose, you know, being drawn upon by parties, right wing figures, and and the public, but also, and and you do this right towards the the, the kind of the end of the book. Well, what the sort of experts do in this context, you you know, in in, in the context of. Um, social media, which may be you know highly distorting their ideas, or you know sort of saying things that are demonstrably false based on their expertise. Mm.
0: Um, yes, this was very interesting to study. Uh, so um, I looked at um, the kinds of sources that were mentioned in these social media texts that um, I looked at, um, and how they were. Um, used to legitimize um, discourse about populist nationalist discourse, in essence. Um, And what I could see um, very clearly is that, um, first of all, it's important to understand expertise as distributed, so to uh, understand um, how and where it featured, because direct mentions of historians or um, archaeologists um, were very few. Um, But particularly in the Italian case, there were quite a few mentions of um, what people had learned at school, um, what people had read um, in their school books, um, and then also um, mentions of um, television, um, series, television programs. Schools, education, formal education, and television were probably the most powerful um, sources of information that were mentioned. And of course, um, um, television uh, programs, and those that were um, referenced directly, um, were programs um, where experts, historians, did feature. And <laughs> um, So the book um, stresses um, how um, the power um, of these two um, ways of communicating um, scientific um, narratives, um, mediating uh, scientific narratives, one through school education and the other through through television. Um, And when it comes to television in particular, um, there is a detailed analysis uh, of, the discourse um, that is put forward by experts on those programs and what we find, um, how we find it referenced um, by people in in social media and particularly very direct, um, very um, emotional accounts um, um, relating, for example, to um, um, invasions uh, and how they were... um, they contributed to to the end of the Roman Empire uh, were really felt by some of the viewers who wrote how upset um, how upset they were and um, how this really made them believe that um, immigrants um, coming um, to uh, their country would effectively cause the end uh, of, of the country. So there is a um, ses- sensationalised way, the sensationalised way in which um, certain accounts were put forward really had a strong psychological impact um, uh, on, on viewers and an impact on what they believed. So that um, it was very clear that, yes, Some of these myths, you know, myths of origin, myths of collapse, um, have a long tradition. They stay, they endure. Um, They've been there um, for a long time, but they've been played out in different ways, and they are almost filled by narratives that um, are still, um, uh, in part, uh, we see... um, uh, in the hands um, of experts which is why we should really be uh, careful in the way in which we present some of the information um, that we um, uh, some of the interpretation that we develop uh, through through our research uh, if you like.
1: I mean that, that's one of many insights that, that I think the book puts forward and, and the book as I mentioned at the start is, is kind of a central reading for, for lots of different Reasons and, and one of the things that strikes me, you know, kind of in, in conclusion, is where you go next for this analysis, and and what kind of themes, um, not just from from this, you know, particular um, focus or, or case study of, of um, populist nationalism, but also actually where the methods and and I guess where the kind of framework you've got in the book might go next.
0: Um, yes, the. At the end um, of of this study, I I really came to the conclusion that, um, you know, weighing um, the pros and cons of adopting uh, the kinds of methods that I did adopt, and focusing on an analysis of um, heritage um, values um, as they're put forward on social media, it is really worthwhile to um, pursue um, these kinds of. big data-driven, um, studies, um, of, um, interactions with the past, um, through, uh, social media, uh, despite their challenges, there are many challenges, uh, because they can, um, unlock insights that we could have not really developed by using more traditional forms, um, of, of investigation. This idea that I was mentioning at the beginning, um, of, um, capturing, um, uh, rare moments when people um, use the past to describe how they see the present um, and um, and how um, they see the future as well uh, is really powerful and, and very, very informative. Um, and going forward, um, it could be um, really interesting, and this is one of my plans um, on the one end to extend some of these um, investigations uh, in a comparative way to different um, contexts, uh, also beyond um, Europe uh, and North America. But on the other um, is to work with more, uh, those more traditional uh, methods that I mentioned, um, still um, primarily quantitatively um, in order to, um, for example, understand a little bit better um, how um, distributed expertise impacts on um, people's ideas um, of the past, um, which in turn impact on their ideas of the present and future. It's a bit of a um, sort of a circle. Um, so these um, more quantitative, more As I said, traditional studies, survey-based, could at this stage um, be informative about the relations between, for example, um, the use of different um, media sources and views about the past, the present,
1: the future. And another book?
0: (laughs) Yes, potentially. Um, It's something that I am starting to work on.